podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. A camel channel. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Fighting Cock Podcast. I'm joined on the line by Dr. Tom Basin. He's a football expert, football finance expert at Coventry University. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks. How are you? I'm really good. We were just th- talking before we started recording that uh, you're you're a Wolves fan, and you was mentioning how I was asking you how you felt about Nuno leaving Wolves, and you you gave quite a, 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 a nice sort of summary of your feelings of of, uh, of of when he left. Do you want to say that again, just for the listeners? Yeah, it it really felt like I was like I had a girlfriend who it was coming to the end of the relationship, and we both know that it needs to end, but you still feel really really sad about it. Because we had such good times under Nuno. We got 99 points in the championship. We finished seventh two seasons in a row. We got to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. And then it just kind of went stale a little bit and fell apart a little bit towards the end. And it was like, we know it was probably the right decision. But also not seeing him in the dugout was really, really weird. Yeah, and also, you know, generally, if you leave a long-term relationship, the, the next one, you're on the rebound. So maybe Tottenham Hotspur are a rebound for for Nuno, and eventually it'll end up back at Wolves. But um, I'm not sure. I'm still hopeful. There was some good football under his time at his time at Molineux, wasn't there? It wasn't like it was all as pragmatic as you saw in the last season. I mean, it was always relatively. It was always defence first, set up the defence, the back three. But we had we had. I mean, he got he got us to. I think at one point we had like the fourth best defence in the league with a defence that had, you know, no disrespect to him, but Ryan Bennett in it, mm. and. He was always expert at organising the defence and then allowing the two or three attacking players. I mean, we managed to get turn Matt Doherty into an attacking um, fullback, which uh, seems to have gone downhill a little bit since he's uh, joined your, your lot. I don't want to talk about Matt Doherty ever, <laughs> ever again, ever again. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was, I know there were Wolves fans out there going like when we bought them for twelve million. There, there may have been some smug Spurs fans out there who were giving it to Wolves fans. 
But the general feeling from what I read online was that, oh, yeah, we're not that bothered. We were not, it isn't the end of the world that Matt Docherty is going. We massively missed him last season. Did you? Uh, because if you think about last season, after Jimenez got his head injury, yeah, that in a space of like eight games, we lost Doherty, Jota and Jimenez, who were our three leading goal scorers from the previous season. And we went from, we didn't really replace any. I mean, Semedo's come in and has been fine, but doesn't have the same goal-scoring ability that Doherty found for those three seasons with us. Yeah. Uh, well, we hasn't we haven't seen any of that this season, but probably less his fault and more more the situation. Yeah, we're playing in a back four rather than a, a wing back role. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, the well, things might work out for him, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure 100 that they will. Anyway, look, um, can I, let's just find out a bit more about uh, your background, Tom, like in fo- football finance and like why you got into that and 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 I guess your credentials to talk about this stuff. That's right. So I'm just I'm just a football fan, basically, and I love just talking about football and watching football. And um, so I got into fo- fo- sport management education, basically, mm. at Coventry University. Um, did my PhD on um, bids for Olympic Games. And just football is just something that I'm always very happy to read about and talk about and, and write about. And so sport finance, this is a perfect job for me, really. OK, well, what, is, what do you do? So I teach, we have a sport management course at Coventry University. Yeah. That I remember we have about 250 students on that who are effectively the, the Daniel Levy's of the future. Right. Um, hopefully, you know, they, they learn a little bit of finance, a little bit of marketing, a little, little bit of everything, a little bit of contemporary issues of what's going on in sport at the moment. So it's fundamentally about um, that it teaches you the, the foundations of what you'd need in order to one day run a football club as a chief exec or chairman. Yeah, but basically it teaches students basic management fundamentals. So finance, economics, HR, marketing, all that sort of stuff. But in the context of sport, okay. in the context of international sport, really. And uh, probably mentioned, we've actually got two or three of our former students who've gone on to work for Spurs. Oh, really? Doing what? Uh, in, within the, one, one who's doing looking marketing team for the ladies team. Yeah. A um, couple of others who are in uh, um, various other marketing teams. You have students on placement there each year. Oh, wow. That's fair play. So, so if so, someone's interested in working in football, but not necessarily the playing side of things, really the, the, the management of it, then Absolutely, yeah. your, your course in Coventry is a, a good one for people to apply for. Absolutely, yeah. It, uh, it's a nice route into, into sport, really. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, but the financial side has always interested you because I guess it's, it's part and parcel of our modern game isn't it? it's crucial absolutely i mean i grew i grew up in the in the 90s and all the newspaper headlines were about um, um jack walker at blackburn and the money that was being invested there and it, it was really that that commercial boom of the 90s that i i started watching football that i grew up in with at the time as, as a wolves fan we had um sir jack haywood who was who was very similar who owned the club in the 90s and we probably spent more money than any other championship club Division one as it was there, mm. uh, apart from apart from Blackburn, really, and you know it's then with things like the Alan Shearer big deal, and you then see it kind of explode, and that was just something that always interested me. Um, and do you feel like that there is a like there's a clear correlation between how wealthy a football club is or how cash rich they are, and how willing and willingness they how will, willing they are to spend uh, between that and success. Um, and as someone who understands football finance in the way that you do, does it not take something away from the sport, knowing that fundamentally 
and we're going to move on to Newcastle very shortly, but like they they are now primed to be successful purely because they have this money. Like, is, is it yeah. still a sport? I, guess. I mean, I guess it's something that's kind of always been there. You know, you had the Nottingham Forest team breaking the um, the, the transfer record for um, Trevor Francis being the first million pound player, you know, and that's when you think about it being you know Forest coming up from second division to win to win the top flight and then go on and win a couple of European cups, but. They broke transfer record signing Trevor Francis and Peter Shilton. Spurs so, were the same in the sixties as well, exactly. Yeah, so it, it's not like it's obviously a slightly different level now, but it's not like it's something that hasn't always always been there. There's always been an element that if you if you're prepared to spend the money, then obviously it's the same with any business really. The more you spend, the better quality that you that you'll get. There's been studies that have shown that there's wages is a better investment. That there's not a huge amount of correlation between transfer fees and success. Yeah. But there's a bet. There's a better correlation between wage, wages paid and success. So that that seems to be the, the better indicator that you pay the better players bigger wages, essentially. And then it turns into a bit of a virtuous circle that you get the teams that are at the top, teams that qualify for the Champions League every season, and you know Spurs are probably struggling a little bit at the moment because you've got the teams a couple of years outside the Champions League, and then that's tens of millions of pounds. A revenue that you that you haven't earned that Liverpool and City and Chelsea and you know United are earning, mm. and that makes it very very difficult. It means that the rich get richer and everyone else kind of stays at the same sort of level. You can't complain too much as a Spurs fan because of that, because that's just that's the nature of the beast in football. If like outside of not finishing the Champions League or Europa League spots or wherever it might be, we've got such a the brand has been so well managed in a global level that. We'll always see a kind of revenue that, you know, Villa or, you know, you know even Aston Villa or but going further down the tree like Norwich and then into the championship, other teams like Coventry, they'll never be able to build that brand up in the, in the same way that Spurs have. So and we're always going to benefit for that. And because of that, you can't complain when you're out of the Champions League and other teams are benefiting for it. But there are there is like there is a correlation between what Chelsea have done and how they've got in there and what Newcastle will potentially be able to do, and City did as well, is which was spend their way in. And that's something that Tottenham don't do. And I'm going to ask about your opinions on how Daniel Levy runs our football club in a bit, if you're happy to answer. But what did you make of the uh, takeover of Newcastle? I mean, obviously, it's been going on for a fair amount of time. You know, first was mooted like, April last year, and it's, it's taken that, that length of time to, to come through. I think the Chelsea comparison perhaps doesn't work entirely because Chelsea were a far better position. You know, they had Zola and Hasselbank and True, yeah. good, good players. And they they were they played in the Champions League. I think they'd won the Cup Winners' Cup in the late 90s. They were arguably already the third, probably third biggest club um, behind, sorry to say, Arsenal and United in the late 2000s, early. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, late 90s, early 2000s. So they were already at like a European level anyway. City's probably the more comparable one. Um I mean, I, I guess they had Sinatra the year before and they'd spent money with Sven as manager and they brought in Alano and Giovanni and players like that for relatively, relatively big money. But I mean, what the money that in theory that Newcastle have potentially, I mean, in theory, the Saudi Arabian families worth 10 times that of what City's owners are. Hmm. And you're just kind of looking and thinking, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. <coughs> what do you know about the the owners? What what? As, as from our perspective, it's like 
you know, for someone who doesn't understand, it's like, oh, well, it's the Saudi Arabian government. They're buying Newcastle because they need to improve the uh, the uh, public opinion of what Saudi Arabia is. And they're using the football club in the world's most famous league to do that. But they, on on paper, they're not the Saudi Arabian government, are they? No, in theory, that they've given the assurances to the Premier League that the, this um, wealth fund is separate from the Saudi Arabian government, which how it is, I'm not 100% sure. And that's been very, very, very murky. That was originally one of the issues that stopped the deal going through last summer, that the Premier League wanted one of the members of the Saudi royal family to take the fit and proper persons test. And somehow over the last 12 months, they've managed to persuade the Premier League that this investment fund is separate to um, the Saudi royal family. Um, how they've done that, we don't we don't really know. But this purchase of, Spur, uh, the purchase of Newcastle certainly fits into what we've seen from that, that region. You know, Saudi Arabia itself, we had anti-Joshua fighting over there. They've got um, their first Grand Prix at the end of the year. I don't know if you saw, but earlier in the year, there were rumours of them bidding for the 2030 World Cup jointly with Italy, bizarrely. Um, so sport investment is certainly something that's on the radar of um, the Saudi Arabian government and the country. It's essentially, the, what, the issue that those, those countries have in that region is it's a mix between wanting to diversify their industries because their, their economies are heavily based on oil and having a massive dependence on a resource that's going to run out at some point isn't brilliant. And so they need to bring in new new ways of, of making money for the country, basically. And also it's a mixture of, and this is certainly the case with Qatar, wanting to disassociate themselves from other countries in the region because, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I say to you, you know, think about the Middle East, think about Syria, you know, think about other countries that are neighbouring them, you probably have the images that come to your mind yeah. probably aren't great. No, no, they're, yeah, like, um, you know, conflict and, and um, poverty and unrest. Exactly. So then Qatar and Dubai, you know, wanting to be major tourist hubs, wanting, you know, if you fly out to East Asia, chances are you're going to change at one of those um, airports. If they want to try and bring themselves into this more um, Western world, I guess, then they're trying to almost disassociate themselves from those countries. I mean, you probably, if, you, if I say Qatar to you now, you probably think about um, potentially human rights issues yeah. and money, but you probably don't think of it in the same sentence as you think of Syria. No, no, because of, I guess, because of the, um, that they seem to be moving or holding an olive branch out to the West in order to seem more, more approachable. Um, and I mean, there's still nothing that would make me want to go to Saudi Arabia, but I'd rather go there than Syria, and I'd much rather go to Qatar or Dubai than, than than Saudi Arabia at the moment. But things are changing, and the perception of that country is changing because of these sporting events, especially the boxing, as you mentioned, and the uh, the F one that's going there. And and now they're it, well, now that they've taken over Newcastle, they're going to essentially be, you know, when you think of Manchester City, you don't just think about the football club; you think about the owners constantly. Every time you think about Man City, you think about the owners. They're synonymous. Uh, you know, and and the same will be for Newcastle. So I can understand the motive of it, um, and I don't want to go into the ethics because we did the podcast yesterday about all that stuff, and we don't need to go into it again. If you want to hear our thoughts on that, then go back and listen to the last episode. But um, so Newcastle have all this money. Um, what's what's stopping them from paying 
Mbappe a million pounds a week at the end of this season when he's available on a free or a pre-contract in January? Well, I think taking Mbappe first, I don't know to what extent Newcastle will be an attractive proposition to those players anyway. I think that's why the Chelsea thing was different because they were playing in the Champions League. Um, when City were taken over, I guess it was the start of the season, they weren't in a relegation scrap. Um, so that's surely more enticing to a player than a signing in January when you're not going to be playing at the top end of the Premier mm. League. You know, you're probably not going to be winning anything. And I never know when it comes to players who are earning you know, such ridiculous amounts of money, at what point the amount of money you're earning doesn't really matter. Yeah. And it's like, it, would I rather earn £250,000 a week playing for Real Madrid than £350,000 a week playing for Newcastle? And it gets to a level of thing when you're probably earning so much that it... Doesn't make a difference. Yeah, you choose you choose Real Madrid. So <coughs> with that issue... Yep. And I guess financial fair play or the Premier League's profit and sustainability... Okay, so one. just before you, because obviously we want to talk about this, is that the general perception, I'm sure you're aware of this, is that financial fair play is nonsense, it doesn't work, and clubs are not going to be held accountable and Newcastle will be able to do what they want. Is that statement incorrect? Um, well, just to, to start, there's, there's two different financial fair play rules that Newcastle are going to have to abide by. <coughs> one that they're going to have to look at first is the one that people don't really talk about much, which <coughs> is the Premier League regulations, their profit and sustainability. Um, regulations which limit a club from making 105 million, any more than 105 million pound loss over a course of three seasons. That doesn't include spending on stadiums, so Spurs Stadium wouldn't count towards that. Yeah. Training ground investment, the women's team, youth football, community things doesn't include that. So it's largely in terms of like the, the playing side of things. Yeah. They can't make more than 105 million pounds um, a loss. Yeah. In, three years and as far as I know no club's ever broached that um, no one's ever breached breached that the yeah. closest I think Everton are right at the border and it's really noticeable that this summer they've got to that limit and then this summer they haven't spent anything um, the previous years they spent money on you know big wages on James Rodriguez and Alan and big transfer fees on Awobi, Decore, players like that and then this summer they brought in Damari Gray and Andrus Townsend for two million or something, largely because they've reached that limit. So it's it's obviously strict enough to, to scare Everton into not spending. What what might the sanctions be? You're talking about fines and points and stuff. Uh, so I think I was looking at the, pre, the uh, Premier League handbook yesterday, and it's uh, stopping them signing new players. So I think kind of similar to what Barcelona potentially, potentially saw over over the summer. So they won't be able to register new signings. And, and oh, I can see. All right. Okay. So there's that. So there's that. So Newcastle, regardless of the situation, um, you think that that they would not be able to spend more than a hundred and five million pounds deficit. So they can't. They can bring players' money in and use that at wages, but they can't over three seasons spend more than a hundred and five million more than they've brought in. Yeah. And what matters right now is that the pre the previous three seasons, which are the ones that are covered they've made profits because Mike Ashley hasn't spent anything. Right. So they have that £105 million loss they're allowed to make. Yep. And on top of that, they've made about £90 million profit over the previous. So they, they to, to state, because this is what will happen, they'll spend that £200 million and everyone yep. will go in, look it, financial fair pay doesn't work. That's that's what they'll be saying. It's nonsense. But actually, they have that they have that window. They have, they've got that, that buffer, right? They've got £200 million they can spend without getting in trouble. 
Essentially, yeah, Im- immediately, yeah. But then as they go into the next season, then one of those profitable seasons drops off the end. Right. Then you have two previous profitable seasons and then one loss-making season. Yeah. So because it's a three-year rolling thing, it's fine for the first year. But then as you're getting into year two and year three, you're losing those profitable years. Yeah, and while £200 million sounds like a lot of money, in the modern market, it's not enough to fix Liverpool, uh, Newcastle and turn them into a top four club straight away. What is that including wages? So transfer markets yeah. and wages. And this is the so this is the what we call the amortization of players. So basically, what that means is if you when you sign a player, according to um, finance, you amortize him over the, the duration of the contract. Yeah. So Spurs signed excuse Matt Doherty as, as the example. Right. Say twelve million. Um, from Wolves, say signed, I can't remember how long his contract was, but say it was three years. So that 12 million doesn't go on the books in year one. It's 12 million over three years. So that's four years, four million each year is what goes on the books. Yeah. So in, in Spurs accounts, they will have a minute fee for this season, probably like Deli Ali from when he signed. And there will be an account for um, every, you know, Hugo Lloris and every player that um, Spurs have signed that's still on the books. They're contracted, their transfer fee is still being amortised over the length of that contract. So what that means is that if Newcastle were to spend, say, 500 million in January, then their first year, and, and all those players sign five-year contracts, for this year, that amortisation value will only be the first year of those five-year contracts. So it'll be 100 million. Right. Does that make any sense? No, 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 it does, it does. Um, I'm, 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 yeah, no, no, it does. It does make sense. No, I get it. So it's not, again, as a, as a layman who doesn't understand these things and most football fans don't, you're not, it's not, they've spent 50 million, therefore that's 50 million off their transfer market. It's like, oh, oh, they've, off their transfer budget, as long as they're compliant with this. Yeah, yeah okay. All right, I think I understand it. How do, so there's so many players, so many contracts, so many transfers going in and out. Whose responsibility at a club is it to make sure everything's correct? I mean, it's they got. Is it is it as complex as it sounds? It's it's it's, it's not really. I mean, it's it's fairly standard accounting practices. Right. Okay. So anyone anyone who studied accounting will be absolutely comfortable, fine, fine with it. So um, any building that a company buys is amortized. Uh, well, it depreciates across the value of its lifespan. Um, so, if a co- if a company buys a car for twenty thousand, say, yeah, and it lasts five years, that twenty thousand spend doesn't all go on the first year. It's spread across the lifespan of its of its value. So, it's it's fairly standard. Okay, uh, and and I'm, I'm guessing I'm guessing um, that sometimes when a football club terminates a contract, like Spurs did with Serge Aurier at, uh, in the summer, I'm not sure you're aware of this. What, why would the club, why would Daniel Levy and Tottenham Hotspur agree a mutual termination of a contract instead of just holding on to him and hopefully sending him later? Um, so I guess wages are one thing um, that it get, gets them gets them off the wage bill. It also means that that value is terminated off the contract now. So in terms of the value of the contract, Spurs will have had, will have a a loss on Ore for this season for whatever the remainder of his value is rather than it being going over the next couple of seasons. Right. So we've seen we've seen a couple of clubs do this um, when they've tried to adjust the value of their players when they've got relegated, get rid of players when they're relegated. So that loss all goes against a season when they've had massive revenues in the Premier League. 
and then gives them more of a clean slate. Right. Okay. Actually, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of the the Oreo deal, but I, I suspect it's a case of wages. Yeah. And what and what might and what might they that what how might that I might be asking you things you don't know now, but how, what might that how might that agreement work? Is that would we pay him a, a, a percentage of his wages that remain on his contract, and and that would be a part of it, or would it just be going you're free to pursue anyone you want, and there'll be nothing involved? Yeah, I'll just just to go back one thing, just something I've just thought about is that this year uh, the some of the um, regulation was a little bit laxer because of COVID, yeah. so there might be slightly more lacks easier to get rid of things during the current time period than next year when things are more back to normal right right fair enough but yeah it'll largely be an agreement between the player his agents and the club and yeah. he'd, he'd be perfect within his rights to say i've signed this contract you sign this contract you know as long as i keep doing my job um as long as i'm not in breach of that contract then you keep paying me for the next two three years yeah however long spurs will have had to come up with an offer and it might well be that there was something in the contract to say i don't know if he's found a club yeah, he's, he's signed for Villarreal just recently, uh, last week. I missed that. So it might be something there to say that if he signs for a club, then part of what Spurs owe him drops off. But there, there might not be. It'll depend on the individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, it's the same with Gareth Bale and his situation at Real Madrid. He's been paid £600,000 a week. And obviously, he signed a contract. He deserves his... Well, whether he deserves it or not is another thing. But factually what he's signed and legally binding is that you owe me up to this point £600,000 a week and he's been within his rights to take it even though it's probably damaging to Real Madrid um, so what? So that's the Premier League rules what about financial fair play generally then what 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 do Newcastle have to be compliant with so only the Premier League rules at the moment um, because that's the only competition they're in that matters right so obviously if they qualify for Europe then they get into UEFA um, financial fair play. And how far back does that go? So that's that. Well, th- this is in a state of flux at the moment. So it used to be um, 26 million over three years loss. So because that's so much stricter in the Premier League one, that's one of the reasons why you never saw clubs being in breach of the Premier League one. Because if they comply with UEFA, they comply with the Premier League. It's why Everton are the only club that have really got close that we know of. Um, and so that you that was twenty about twenty six million over a three year period, and that's probably easier to hit because once you're in the um, Champions League, your revenues shoot up. You get more, you know, broadcasting money. Yeah, um, and, that, and that can all be put towards it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's profit essentially. It's, yeah. Um, so, but with COVID, they rolled last year's. Um, so that was twenty six million over two years. They didn't do it in twenty twenty. They rolled twenty twenty into twenty twenty one to give them an, an extra year. Yeah. And now it's being, they're re-looking at it and it's thought it's going to be a percentage of revenue, a straight percentage of revenue in the future that you're allowed to spend uh, with the potential that if you go over, you pay a fine. But and so that, but we've seen clubs that, that haven't breached it, right? PSG have breached and Man City have, I think they breached, did they? Um, and in, in, in they, they get a slap on the wrist fundamentally. They might get a ban or they might, and it just gets overturned. What, what, what you've got any thoughts about that? Well, it's, it's, it's the City case was interesting. Obviously, that went to Cass and that was eventually thrown out kind of because of the statute of limitations that ended. That partly because the, the information that UEFA got wasn't the most legally gathered information. It was from um, hackers accessing emails, but partly because it was, I think it was stuff back in 2011, 2012, and they determined it was, it was too long ago to. That was when City got their, their ban 
overturned. But we have seen teams banned from Europe. I think AC Milan missed a year. They were banned from Europe for a year. And that's, you know, it's important for clubs. It's as much as anything else, it's take a huge knock to the revenues. And I can't imagine like what it would be if if City has been banned for a year, what that does for like Kevin De Bruyne's contract there. You mm. know, if he goes to the owners and said, Well, this isn't my fault I can't play in the Champions League this season. Yeah. But that would that, you know, that would obviously have major repercussions. What I think they're looking to do going forward is to change it to a fine. And then obviously if you're a, a, a got three hundred billion worth of cash, the fact that you pay a fine will be absolutely fine. It won't really matter. You'll 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 take the punishment and just just pay the fine. That's a shame. It needs to be it needs in order for it to work, it needs to be it has to be a banning from the competition. Fine doesn't mean anything to us as fans. And we're concerned as for, you know, looking at the Newcastle situation that they're going to be able to just buy their way to whatever they want. Um, but they they they, not, they not, might not necessarily be able to do that in the Premier League because there is you know they're they're stricter. I mean, they no one's ever breached it, but I'd imagine they they would impose some sort of uh, sanction that, that Newcastle owners wouldn't be able to spend their way around. It wouldn't just be a fine if there was a continual breach. Surely it'd be points and stuff like that. Yeah, well, it's to say that the, the original the, the handbook suggests it would be on registering with new players that's and right yeah that would be that would be significant yeah yeah and the thing to remember the premier league though as well is it's owned by the clubs 21 shares in the premier league 20 each of the clubs plus the fa has a golden share so i think you need um 14 clubs to um make to make a significant change but that might well happen we saw changes voted in after the super league um stuff earlier in the year that they changed regulations there the 14 clubs voted to change the regulations um there so it might well well happen that if, if newcastle are you know blowing everyone out of the water that 14 you know i can easily imagine that 14 clubs would be very happy to because i can imagine that for newcastle the teams at the top they're going to be worried you know you're thinking six clubs into four champions league spaces doesn't go yeah seven clubs into four is even more difficult you know, and then if you're if you're Burnley or someone, you're thinking, well, I thought we'd finish above Newcastle this season. Now we need to find another team that's going to be, yeah, uh, that's going to drop down. So I can well imagine there's 14 clubs who are looking on at this and being slightly concerned with with the situation. Yeah, hundred percent. I think everybody is. Even Man City fans are going, oh Jesus, we're not the ones anymore. We're not. The, we're not the guys. But they, they they have. I know that people are critical of financial fair play. But you have seen a level of responsibility from Man City and and Chelsea. I know Chelsea had that big splurge, but they had, they went a season, a couple of transfer windows without buying any players. So they yeah, had to, to. Yeah, but they were they they still they were still allowed to um, spend that money once they were right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they they had the year without Lampard's first season, didn't they? Yes. But they they've what what Newcastle haven't got that City and Chelsea have got is the infrastructure, the underlying strategy underneath. Yeah. So City have obviously been doing it, you know, since like 2008 when they took over. And then they appointed like the um, Serrano from Barcelona and let, laid all that groundwork to then get Pep in. And mm. so you kind of see the strategy there. They have their um, clubs in um, around around the world, you know, Melbourne City, for example. Yeah. Um, New York country, as well, isn't it? Yeah. New York, Yeah. Chelsea have their their farming system, their their loans, you know, and you know if, if you look at what Chelsea signed Lukaku over the summer, um, but you know that was more than paid for by selling Tammy Abraham and um, Tamori to Milan essentially. Mm. Um, so 
and then you assume that you know maybe they'll get some money for you know a Ross Barkley or someone, and that'll help fund next year's. Newcastle don't have that at the moment. No, they don't. They haven't, got, they haven't gone through those that this period of building. They don't have saleable assets in their in their first eleven, really, do they? Absolutely not. No. I, I mean, we, I saw them play last weekend. Alan San Maximan was far and away their their best player, but beyond him. And what's he worth? Maybe thirty million, for thirty-five. If on a good a good day, you don't know. But it's it's like you're right. The building. The, so, do you are you predicting then that the building process at Newcastle will be slower than than some might think that, that some Newcastle fans might hope? I mean, I, th- I think it need, I think it needs to be really. Um, I think the the rumours are you know talk about Lucian Favre coming in as director of football or whatever, and that sort of thing might kind of make sense. That they kind of need to get that underlying infrastructure. Because, you know, we, we, we've seen, I've mentioned Everton before, where they've just had quite a haphazard. There was the summer when they signed three number 10s. They signed uh, Rooney, I think, Klassen, Gilfie. And how do you fit those three number 10s into yeah. one, one team? Kind of we, reckless, we, wasn't it? Yeah, there was no strategy there. So City clearly have that strategy. You know, you saw it obviously over the summer with Harry Kane was there. Harry Kane and Jack Grealish was, was their strategy. Chelsea slightly different given they've had managers come and go but they've got the underlying management structure the same director of football who's been there for for years um and they know what they're doing in terms of in terms of that they might have a new manager who comes in and does slightly different things with the players each year but the underlying strategy is is there and you'd have thought and it took city two or three years to yeah it wasn't instant no and that was at a time when liverpool had declined um, Arsenal had declined. Spurs weren't a, a Champions League club, so that was at a time when there was less competition up at the top of the league. Mm. I mean, now you, I mean, arguably you've got three of the best five teams in the world sitting playing in the Premier League, and then you've got lots of very strong clubs in that bracket below. Mm. It's not easy for Newcastle to just push past everyone. I think. Yeah. It's just going to be much easier than they've had it recently, which is, you know, it's fair enough. They've gone through the mill and they've, got, they've had a chairman that they've absolutely loathed for 10 years. And now they've got uh, something new and you can understand why they're so happy about it. Um, OK, just finally, um, I just want to ask your opinion on Daniel Levy, because currently at Spurs, there are dissenting voices from at the moment, I would say, a sizable minority who uh, are very much Enoch out, Daniel Levy out of the football club. Um, I think they're kind of looking at what other clubs are doing, the money that Chelsea spend and City spend, and, and the way Liverpool won't have been gone about their business, and they kind of feel like Spurs have been, you know, left behind somewhat, and the debacle which was our managerial search in the summer. But um, what, what's your opinion about how Daniel Levy runs Tottenham Hotspur? You know, is it? Do you rate him? Do you have any feeling at all? That, you know, what, what's your thoughts? I mean, I think I, I, this is very much me from from the outside looking in. Yeah, I think generally he's he's done well. Um, that Spurs are one of the one of the teams that have transitioned from being a mid table team to being a regular top table team. You know, if you if you think about probably when when Levy when when they took over and Enoch took over, that you're looking at Spurs being a, a club similar size to Villa and Everton and yeah. You know, in, Newcastle, that that yeah. sort of, you know, teams that aren't, we're never going to challenge at the top of the table, but equally probably weren't going to get relegated or, and they've developed into a team that's, you know, going to finish top six each season. They've been, you've got, you've got your, your brand new stadium, um, 
which you know I've been to been been to a couple of times and is you know fantastic from from what I've seen of it anyway. Um, it's I guess that obviously the Mangiro search was seemed weird from the outside um, because we were look, we were looking for a manager at the same time after having lost Nuno and it was it was interesting kind of you had. Um, Three, four clubs, I think, over the summer who were looking for managers. And we appointed, we used our George Mendes connections and appointed to got someone on board straight away. And then you kind of had Palace and Everton and Spurs flying around each, looking at Nuno, not taking Nuno, um, then going to other managers and, and not really sure. I don't know, maybe it's a little bit difficult that Klopp, um, Tuchel and Guardiola are such excellent managers. And every club's really striving to find managers who are going to be able to, mm. you know, reach those sorts of levels and they're just not out there really. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess Conte would be the obvious thing yeah. choice, but he's going he's gonna to require lots of money and, um, you know, he is what he is. He comes in, does a job, upsets everyone and then leaves. I, I have been impressed actually with, uh, is it Largay? Is it Largay? How do you pronounce his yeah. Bruno Lager. I'm really impressed with the way Wolves have been playing. We talked a lot about it after the game when um, we fortunately beat you 1-0 for Spurs uh, at Molyneux, where you you had you were very unlucky. And then I watched the game against Man United, equally unlucky. And it's only a matter of time before that ball starts going in the net. But you're playing such ex- exciting football, attractive Weirdly, football. We did the first three games. When we oh, lost really? Oh, right. Has he, did he change uh, it up? A little bit. It was a little bit... Well, we were behind for significant parts of those games. So we were chasing... I mean... I was watching that game against you lot and I was like, okay, this is Nuno. You've been one to look after 10 minutes and then you sit back and mm. invite pressure and keep them out. And that was very much what we did for um, two, two, two years, certainly under him. And so we were always going to have lots of shots and stuff like that against the Nuno team that's one to look after 10 minutes. Um, since then, we've won more games, but we haven't been playing the same sort of expansive football, mm. I don't think. And just one more thing, uh, what's the Wolves fans' opinion of Adama Traore? Like, I'd have loved him at Spurs, but is, is seeing him week in, week out different from watching him destroy Tottenham's defence as he did? It's hit and miss. Um, I, I, I really like him. I rate, I rate him very highly. Um, some fans don't. Some fans look just at that end product and see that it's not there, that he doesn't get assists, he doesn't doesn't score goals in the same way that um, other strikers, other players do. You know, you mentioned Sam Maxman earlier, and they've got such similarities. Mm. But Sam Maxman's, you know, goal and assist return. Um, he was unlucky last season a little bit because his main game was getting crosses in. And as soon as Jimenez got injured, um, we didn't really have a striker who yeah. was capable of doing that. You know, Fabio Silva's a 18-year-old, 18-year-old kid. He's not going to bully a centre-half and power it, Duncan Ferguson it back into the back of the net. Yeah. So, Troy Ray's, um style of play didn't necessarily suit it and he's a little bit unfortunate in terms of um under Nuno especially in that Nuno's best games for us were probably playing a 5-3-2 where we basically played five defenders three defensive midfielders and then left Jota and Jimenez at front to do their stuff yeah. and Troy never fits into a 5-3-2 he's not going to play as a central striker if you're not playing a team that has out and out wingers he's not necessarily going to going to fit into it hugely well He's a lot of fun. He's, he's so much fun. I, I I love watching him play. He makes it so much more exciting. I know. I mean, this is the thing. Is it's like when he comes on. Like he came on in the second the uh, game we had in the League Cup, and you come on, and you're like, oh god, here he goes, here we go again. 
We've got to just sit for you. It's impossible to get the ball off him. And, and you are just hoping that he just messes up that final ball. But it's so much fun. And, 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 and from a... From having watched lots of Jose Mourinho's football that hasn't been fun, it's just nice to just see a player that just causes mayhem and chaos. And sometimes football should be about that. It doesn't always have to be about the most tactical, astute plan. Sometimes a bit of madness on the pitch is what we need. Um, thank you so much, Tom, um, for, for, for your time. And um, yeah, it's been really, really interesting to shed a lot of light on uh, financial fair play and, and the Premier League stuff. So yeah, it's really, really grateful. Thank you. No worries, any time. Thanks for having me on. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock! It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock! A camel Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. When I clock out of the hospital at 6 p.m., I'm not done for the night. That's when Gamer Nurse 40 clocks in, and she's got orcs to slay. Sure, I'm playing a 13-year-old in Scranton, but he's a level 53 mage with a filthy mouth. So I need to stay on top of my game. What'd you call me? That's when I crack open a Heineken Zero Zero. Zero alcohol, but just as refreshing. So I can focus on stealing his gold before his mom tells him it's bedtime. Take that, kids. Heineken Zero Zero. 0.0% alcohol. Now you can. Must be 21 plus to purchase. Enjoy responsibly. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.